Unified Game Reviews and the Unified Gamers Network. You're listening to Big Red Potion version 2.0. My name is Sinan Kuba. I am your host, and I am joined by Joe Delia. Yo ho! Jeffrey Matleff. Hello. And Eddie and Zato. Hey, hey, hey. How are you guys doing? Awesome. Wonderful. Excellent. That, that's optimistic then for the, for the rest <laughs> of the show. So, before we get into the main show where we have a very special guest, uh, we need to cover a few things because it's kind of been not. If you discount the show we did two weeks ago, it's kind of been a month since we did the show before that. Or at least infinity. more than a month. Is it? Well, how long has it been, Joe? Infinity. Infinity. It's been infinity. Okay, and quite a few things have actually happened since then. Hey guys, we got some exciting peeps joining the Big Red team. In addition to myself and Sinan, we have Sir Jeffrey Madaleff joining the team. Hey guys. We also have Sir Eddie Indizatu joining the team. Yes, I'm here. And not pictured here is Sir Zantiriad, <laughs> who will also be joining the team. The new, the new Big Red Question show, basically we have these guys as kind of like our regular guests and Two out of three of them will be joining us on every single show. So every two weeks we'll be having, say, four of us, me, Joe, and two of these guys, maybe Zan and Jeff, maybe Eddie and Jeff, maybe uh, the other combination. It's kind of lost me now. I've lost my own train of thought. But anyway, the point is, is that we're going to be having the four, four to five of us on each show, and we'll have a few special guests on from time to time, like with this week's show when we have Jason Roher. I think oh. I just mispronounced his name, even though he just told me how to pronounce his name, like... 20, 10 minutes ago, it's terrible. But anyway, Jason Jason Rowe, who, who created uh, Sleeper's Death, Passage, and a number of other games, as he was very keen to remind us. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, we just talked to him, and it was, it was a really good show, and I hope you guys enjoy it. But before we get into that, we have to announce quite a few other things as well, actually. Ooh. One of the things that I've been busy working on over the last month is a redesign for the site. So if you actually go over to BigRedPotion.com, you'll find that it is red. Woohoo! <laughs> yes. I'm so excited about it being red. I was, the grey was very constricting, I think. It was very next gen. What, the red? Grey. Grey. Oh, yeah, it's grey. Grey and brown. It, it reminded you of the Unreal 3 engine, is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> yes. It was, it was not sponsored by Unreal, but now we've got, now we got uh, red, which um, I guess what's red in this generation? Blood. It's the new black. This is why we brought you on board. Oh, to finish our sentences. <laughs> yes. So, um, yeah, we, there's a bunch of new stuff there. We're going to be doing a lot more written content on the site. There's a sort of there's a there's a player on the site, so you can find our old episodes a bit easier. Uh, it's just a much cleaner, nicer looking interface, and uh, I'm I'm really happy with it. I hope you guys are too. And it's there for you to see at bigredpotion.com. And we also have a Facebook page. Yes. If you go to Facebook and you search for Big Red Potion in that uh, search bar at the top, you will find our page. We have like 50 fans at the moment, which is, hey fans. It's, it's, I feel stupid like referring to fans of the show. Like, <laughs> I, it's, it's, we are not celebrities, that's ridiculous. Um, we have people who listen to the show and we, we love you for listening to the show. Um, and you can find updates about the show on that Facebook page. Uh, we'll mm-hmm. be posting sort of our comments on, on there throughout the week for people who, who like to Facebook. Um, and I think that is it, unless there's anything else to cover. Joe, Jeff, Eddie? Enjoy the show. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> you got it. I got it. Yay, first time. Okay, so check back with us in two weeks when we'll have a cop mode. Otherwise, enjoy the show.
Right, we are joined today by uh, creator of uh, Passage, a number of fantastic indie games, and recently released Sleep is Death, Jason Rower. Am I, did I just pronounce your name correctly, Jason? Uh, yes, that's the British pronunciation. <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> As lucky I'm British then. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm also joined by Joe. Hey, guys. By Jeffrey. Hey. And by Eddie. Yo. I thought Jason would be great just to start off by... Uh, if you could just tell us a little, a little bit about yourself and um, you know your, the, re- the games that you've made recently, your, your history as a developer, and Sleep is Death in, in brief, if that's okay. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, well, I'm, I'm an independent developer. I've uh, Over the past four or so years, I've put out, I think it's been 15 games now. I think Sleep is Death is my 15th. And um, I've always made all those games uh, 100% myself from you know all the programming and graphics and music and you know, website design and packaging and porting to different platforms and everything. So I'm sort of uh, a guy who's sort of a lone wolf. I don't I don't work with anybody else. Um, and uh, I've been a computer programmer much longer than I've been a game designer. So I, I, I've been com- programming computers for about uh, more than 10 years. And it wasn't until I became a really good programmer when I finally was able to make my first game, which was uh, Transcend, which came out about five years ago now, four or five years ago, I think. Um, so, you know, right off the bat, I, I kind of thought of myself as an independent developer. There was a burgeoning independent scene at the time and, um, and some independent uh, festivals that were becoming more well-established. So I sent Transcend, uh, my first game, off to those festivals and uh, Slam Dance and the Independent Game Festival at the time, and, and it got rejected. And then a few years later, I made another game and sent it off to uh, those two festivals uh, it got rejected by the IGF uh, and accepted into Slam Dance, and then so I got to go out to Slam Dance, which was in Park City at the same time as Sundance, and um, you know, kind of got pulled into the independent scene um, and pulled into being, you know, thinking of myself as a game designer, and and uh, I've been pretty much doing game design related stuff and game related stuff ever since then. Um, so it's been kind of a wild roller coaster ride, <laughs> um, you know, from that from that point onward, um, and. Uh, yeah, so I think my, my most well-known game uh, out of those 15 or so is Passage, certainly. Um, that came out two and a half years ago. Um, it's this little five-minute game about um, the passage of life. Uh, a lot of people seem to really like it, and a lot of other people seem to really hate it. Um, so it became sort of a good point of discussion, I guess. Um, but, you know, uh, two and a half years later, people still introduce me as the guy who made Passage, right? So it's kind of a, it's a, it's a, it's a 12-pixel tall shadow that I'm trying to get out from underneath. <laughs> It's funny because I, I, I must admit personally, I, I, I played Passage, but I hadn't kept up with your other games. And then Sleepers Death came around. And I thought, oh, okay, so it's the next game from Jason Rowe. And then uh, looked at your portfolios. Oh, okay, so no, there are <laughs> there have been <laughs> right. a couple of games in between. Right. Yeah. Let's. It's kind of funny when Sleepers Death was coming out and there was publicity about it and so on. Everyone was saying, you know, the next game from the guy who made Passage. <laughs> as if like I've been just like in a cave for two and a half years. You know, I guess maybe it'd be more impressive if I had spent two and a half years working on Sleep is Death, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I only actually spent, like, you know, four or five months working on it, so. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, I mean, we, we actually had uh, Kelly Santiago from uh, that game company on the show previously, and she said uh, Passage was the game that gave her the most, most, most emotional response ever in, in a, a game for her in, in her history of games, and that was, that was sort of the first time it came to our attention, and... Yeah, actually, I was I was there when when Kelly uh, played that game oh, the really? first okay. time, <laughs> and she came up to me afterwards and so on. So that was when I met her. It was right after she had played Passage. Oh, fantastic. Um, but 
Yeah, I don't know. Um, you know, there was that recent flap uh, where you know Ebert watched one of Kelly's uh, Kelly's TED talk and 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 talked about how well he responded to all of her points and sort of treated her like a straw man and you know uh, <laughs> kind of said, well, "Oh, look, this doesn't prove that games are art," and then nothing that she's saying here does. And of course, she talked about you know uh, Waco um, resurrection and Braid and Flower. I guess I'm wondering what Ebert would think of Passage if he actually, you know, sat down for five minutes with it. Actually, it's funny. I've I've been sort of keeping track of that, and, and so many people have recommended him to play Passage on his on his Twitter. It's it's just a, a list of people saying, "Have you played Passage? You should play Passage." And it's, I, I, he's retweeted a, a few of them, but not actually. I don't think he's played it yet, which is maybe disappointing because it's only five minutes to to play the game in total. Or maybe he has played it and he has realized that he is wrong, <laughs> and he's just got his tail between his legs right now. <laughs> I think that's the real truth. I think that's the real truth. <laughs> so, um, of course, you have recently released Sleeper's Death. Um, do you want to just briefly kind of explain to us what your what your aim was with the with the game and, and what the game is? And actually, kind of a question from that: what because I've been describing it as a game, but I, are you comfortable with that blanket term for it? <laughs> I've been calling it a game too myself because um, you know it just simplifies things. You, you're trying to explain something totally new to people, like something like they haven't really seen before, and then you're going to try and come up with a new new name for it as well. Um, so I, yeah, I do call it a game, but that's just sort of a marketing, <laughs> that's like a marketing con, really. Right. Um, so, so, uh, but yeah, it wouldn't be something that I'd want to show to Ebert as part of the games as art argument because he would just say, "Well, yeah, okay, but this is not a game." <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, so uh, sleep is death was something that I. Uh, was was sort of my response to a bunch of different things. Um, you know, there's there's this idea that there's this holy grail lurking out there somewhere in the future of um, uh, of video games. You know, that someday out there in the future we're going to be able to make these kinds of games that actually deal with real characters and deal with things that are about emotions and about the human condition and about relationships, and that there some those things are somehow out of reach, right? I mean, you look at a game like Passage and it kind of deals with those things, but in this very abstract metaphorical way. Um, you know, by by making these me- mechanics that are that are metaphors for things about relationships, right? But it doesn't really have characters in it. Like the character is a very abstract, iconic kind of thing. Um, so people say that you know we just don't we're just not there yet. We don't have the artificial intelligence yet. We don't have the systems designed yet. And and then you know you got people like Chris Crawford who worked for like seventeen or eighteen years on uh, Storytron, which was supposed to be a, a system of like interactive characters. And then you got people like the facade guys who worked for five years on facade. Um, you know, where they had artificial intelligence simulating these characters. Um, and then you've got some other interactive story efforts and some other interactive drama efforts that have kind of uh, peppered, peppered the past. And none of them have really worked, like, to the point where we look at them and say, yes, that's the Holy Grail. Yes, that's, you know, a success. Um, so I was sort of sitting, like, feeling kind of frustrated as a designer, like, wondering, um, you know, am I going to go another 30 years kind of still waiting for that Holy Grail? You know, and I feel like it's too hard of a problem to work on myself, really. I don't want to spend 17 years trying to do it, you know. And um, so then it just sort of hit me mm-hmm. that, well, actually, it's not that hard of a problem if you kind of turn the whole... It's the premise of the problem that's hard. The premise is that you want to make a single-player game where that there are characters in it that, you know, are, are meaningful characters, right? And you want them to be interactive, not just little movie segments like they are in, in modern video games. And so that's the framing of the problem. If you reframe the problem and say, well, why does it have to be a single-player game? What if it's a two-player game? You know, then actually characters aren't really hard. Actually, dialogue becomes extraordinarily easy if you've got two players. In fact, in, in a game of Sleep is Death, the easiest thing to do is dialogue. 
it's much harder to simulate bullet trajectories and, you know, and headshots and blood on the wall and whatever, you know, most modern game engines do with ease, right? Um, but they stumble around with conversation. They put up dialogue trees and all this other kind of broken stuff. Um, but with Sleep is Death, dialogue is the easiest thing. And, you know, simulating bullet trajectories is the hardest thing. Um, so it's just kind of like, kind of like my response to all of that stuff. Like, people are sort of like kind of waiting, sitting there waiting. And, um, well, we could do it now if you just think about it a little bit differently. Um, and I guess, it, you know, I'm, I'm pretty happy with it because it seems like, you know, to do the kinds of things that people have wanted to do with games, it, it, it works, right? I mean, I've told very meaningful stories with it with very, like, kind of deep, complex characters. Um, you know, and for me, you know, using it as a tool, um, it, it certainly worked for that purpose very well. You know, better than anything I've, I've been able to do in a game before and certainly better, I, I'd say better than anything I've seen in a game before. Um, you know, in terms of actually having an interactive character that you can ask, actually ask a question to and get a reasonable answer from. Mm-hmm. It's like forget artificial intelligence altogether. Let's just use actual <laughs> intelligence. That's, that's yeah, yeah, natural intelligence. Yeah. Well, it's sort of a stopgap, right? <laughs> like, you know, maybe, you know, 20 years down the line, we'll figure this out for single-player games. But are we really going to, like, sit around and wait before we can mm-hmm. make games about the things that really matter to us? Like you know, about, like, a father's relationship with his daughter or something, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, I don't know, it's it just, it felt very frustrating to me, because I kept, over the past couple of years since Passage, I kept coming up with, like, oh, I'm going to make a game about this thing for my life. It was an interactive experience in my life, but, wow, I really can't make a game about that. That's all about characters and dialogue, you know, or, like, about these bullies that I used to encounter when I was a kid, or about my first girlfriends, or these kinds of things that are important to me, and I think about it a lot. And I have a lot to say about, but it's like, well, I should probably just write that as a novel, or I should probably just make a movie out of that. Even though I want it to be interactive, I can't figure out how to do it. Um, so this kind of doing it this way allows you to sort of say, well, I can do it right now. I, I can. I like. I'm able to. You know, maybe it's not going to be a single player game, and and this neat little package that you download with all the characters already in it. Um, but you know, at least it works. It's sort of like a temporary measure. So Jason, I wanted to ask when you when you first started playtesting this, when you first showed it to your your friends or your your wife or whoever saw it first, how that experience go? Um, yeah, so I, it was th- this thing from the from the start was very experimental, right? It's like I had this idea. Well, it's not that hard of a problem if you put another person at the helm, but then there's this problem of well, is it even possible, right? So you got to have this thirty second time limit there. That sort of makes it possible. It wouldn't be possible in total real time. And, um, but even with the 30 second time limit, is it really possible? I mean, you have to have it be that short or else it gets boring for the person waiting on the other end. So there's this constraint there, but is that even, is it possible for, for that to really work? Can someone really do it in 30 seconds? You know, so, so the very first games that I played where I was trying to tell somebody a story, um, you know, were just like sort of a test. Like, is this even, is it possible for me, the game designer to do this? I don't even know. And it was very, you know, it was very sort of this nerve-wracking kind of experience. But I found that I was able to do it, right? And uh, and it worked, and I was able to tell meaningful stories. Like, I, I told one to my friend, and then I told another version of that same story to my wife. Um, and, you know, the, the first story I told with it uh, was it took place in my own house. And it was about this time that actually happened in my real life, um, where my wife, she's allergic to cats, and she got around some cats and later on that evening was having, you know, an asthma re- reaction to the cats and her asthma got worse and worse that evening. She was using her inhalers to try and, you know, recover from it and it wasn't working. And so like at like about 10 o'clock at night or something, she realized that she was going to stop breathing uh, and her inhalers weren't working. So she had to go to the hospital and she got her neighbor. She, well, of course, we didn't want to pay for an ambulance ride. Right. So she got her neighbor to our, our neighbor to drive her. And then I, um, 
you know, had to wake my kid up and, and, and walk him down to the hospital, which was, you know, uh, you know, a half mile from my house in, in, the, in the cold night air to go meet my wife in the emergency room. Um, and, you know, that I didn't know whether she was alive or dead. I was totally out of touch with her um, during that walk, and my kid was asking questions and so on, and I had to explain stuff to him. And, and, you know, so I was able to tell that story to my wife, but sticking her in, in my shoes where like she is playing me after she leaves for the hospital, you know, where, where there's this uncertainty about her condition and she has to get the kids out of, get the kids dressed and get them out of the house and so on. Um, and so, and, and that was this really sort of powerful artistic experience for me to be able to sort of share that perspective with my wife, you know, that uncertainty and that sort of scary situation um, you know, in a way that I, I could sort of tell her what it was like, but when you sort of put somebody in that situation, put somebody in your shoes in that situation, they sort of understand it in a different way. And that was the, yeah, so telling it to my wife was the, the second time I ever told a story with the game. And yeah, it worked really, really well. I mean, the first time was a little rougher. It was like I made some mistakes and so on. Um, but the second time I sort of had the knack of how to do stuff in 30 seconds and, and uh, yeah, the whole thing flowed really well. Um, and it worked. And yeah, and, and you know, there was this point in the middle of the story where she says, I, I thought I, I thought I was dead. You know, I thought I was going to die. Um, so, uh, yeah. So yeah, it, it, it sort of was, that was when, when I, when I told stories like that and they worked and they had this emotional power to them and so on, it was like, yeah, okay. I guess this is more than just an experiment. I guess this actually, you know, actually works, <laughs> which was kind of an exciting moment. It's like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm curious, how much of that story did you have pre-planned? Because I, I've messed around with the game a bit and it. Um, no offense, but it, it takes a while to get into to to get used to the interface and figure out how to tell a story and, and find a time limit that works for you. Initially, I didn't realize that you could change the time limit if you go into settings. Right. Yeah. And it and it was cumbersome. Like the first game, I did didn't go so well. It was a lot of hold, hold on, I'm not ready yet. Send it back to me. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm wondering. Then once I started to get a feel for it, it was a little better, but it it still took some time and. Um, I'm wondering, did you have all these settings in the story planned out and all the objects that you would need, or were you quick enough on the draw to, to come up with this stuff? Because I certainly wasn't. Right, right. So that was actually a long time ago. That was like version 2, and we're on version like 14 right now. Um, so uh, back then, there wasn't even such a... like I don't know if, how, how much you guys have played with it, but you'll notice that there are there's a scene picker where you can lay out a room and you can put all the objects in the room that you're going to need for that scene, kind of like characters and everything. And back then in this version, long ago, there was no such thing as scenes. There were just rooms, empty rooms that you could load and then stick objects in them or kind of switch the room out from underneath your objects. Oh, wow. Okay. And, 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 and so, so if you wanted to move like the whole scene from like your character walks out the door, goes to a new room, you got to load the room, pick the objects, drag them. There wasn't even drag and drop. You got to click all the objects, click a button to add them all into the room. And get the whole scene set up in 30 seconds, you know, for every scene change. And at some point, somebody pretty smart, you know, who was looking over my shoulder said, you know, there really needs to be whole scenes. You know, I want more complicated scenes. I'm never going to do that in 30 seconds. And, of course, you know, obviously the, the, the advent of the scene picker was a big turn, sort of turning point for the, for the game in terms of, like, how complex, complex of a story you could tell. So back then when I told the story to my wife, though, I was totally, um, <clears throat> you know, doing everything from scratch every time a new scene would load. Um, and I was able to do it, so I guess I got really good at it. Um, but uh, yeah, so I think the the key is the key to sort of getting better at it is to sort of um, you know you can sort of soften the le- the uh, learning curve for yourself a little bit by not trying to do things so ambitious at first, right? 
Um, you know, it's yeah. a game that you can you can have a pretty interesting experience with just like a black box theater with like a few people and a couple of props, right? Um, and and it will still be something different than that you've never really experienced in a video game before, where characters are actually talking to each other and you know, and uh, and interacting with each other. And then you know, after you get good at that and you got the conversation stuff down, and you could type dialogue really quickly and so on. Then you know, try to add a few more props and have some more like prop interactions like people getting shot or whatever <laughs> and then you know after that try and build some more complicated rooms that look like you know or maybe just even a single room with lots of different stuff in it and then you know then start thinking about how to do scene changes you know so it's sort of got this kind of gradual learning curve i mean if you jump in and try to make like sort of an expert level story um where you know you give the give the player so much choice because there's so many different props they could possibly use and you're gonna have to scramble uh for each thing that they try to do to make it happen and it's you know mm. i mean um, it's sort of like, yeah, I, I guess I see that it's, you know, it does have this, you know, enormous amount of power that's there sort of for, for someone who gets really good at it. But at the same time, you know, it is possible to sort of pl- play like a simplified version of it. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's, that's sort of what I suggest in my tutorial videos as well, that you, you know, you don't have to, <laughs> you need to learn how to, you need to learn how to walk before you can run. Yeah. When I first started, I tried to do all kinds of crazy things give all kinds of options and i just utterly failed because i was super ambitious like already right now i'm thinking of how to make a first person shooter with sleep is death so it's it's nuts but at first it was tough until i decided to calm down and uh you know relax my ambitions a bit and as you learn it kind of all comes together like even the interface was was uh, a little daunting at first but then after just a, a short time with it i was like oh well this is this sort of comes together pretty well as long as I do everything as I should in order, and uh, I like that. Right. Yeah. Um, the so the other thing is that even for my own stories, I mean, I guess you know, I might think of myself as sort of since I designed the thing and I've used it a bunch of times, like oh, I should be like an expert, right? But I still sort of know my own limitations when I set out to do a story, and also like try and because I want the story to have sort of a good arc to it, I don't just want the player like doing crazy stuff and taking it off in some bizarre direction that just goes on forever um i sort of rein rein everything in a little bit right it's like i'm going to tell the story and it's going to have these three rooms you know or these four these four areas that might be explored and you know and i'm and and there's only going to be these three characters in it there's three characters that's actually pretty interesting by itself you know and and sort of like really try to like hone the possibility space down so that I don't end up with like somebody, you know, getting in the car and driving to the airport or whatever, <laughs> and then flying to Hong Kong. You know, it's like, no, no, you can't get in the car and drive to the airport. This is a story that takes place in this house, you know, with this backyard and this neighbor's house, right? Yeah. Um, you know, so, so yeah, I, I, even for myself, I think that, you know, it's all about, it's like sort of like trying to put on a theater production and like shooting way over, overhead of what you might be able to reach, right? Like, it's your first high school play, and you're trying to put on, like, the official, like, Andrew Lloyd Webber version of Phantom of the Opera or something with all the props and everything. Right. <laughs> and everything's just kind of going wrong around you because you only have some, like, inexperienced high school kids behind the scenes pulling on the ropes. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and the chandelier's falling when it's not supposed to fall, and the candles are catching the curtains on fire, and, you know, it's just like... It's like you were there when I was playing my, my session with Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting because we've had sort of a myriad of... of um, of experiences within the four of us playing it. I know sort of Jeff and Joe have kind of been more on the, on the player side, less on the controller side, and me and Eddie have experienced more, the, more on the controller side, and Eddie has experienced more the editor, whereas I've really tried to approach it as, a, as an improv 
thing, just coming dipping in and, and really just trying to get as accustomed to the the editor as quickly as possible and then sort of thinking well how can I adapt this to, to something on the fly and um, even I mean personally speaking for me I've, I've had plenty of, of joy of it just as a as something to dip into as an improv but have you have you found it and I guess it's kind of a, a thing with all sort of games which feature user generated content to some extent is there some sort of hesitance or resistance by, by players to really get that involved with the editor well so I don't know it's, it's hard to tell because there's also just this is a game that people, most people have paid to download, right? Right. So, um, so there's sort of a, an automatic, and the, it's, it's an interesting difference between you know, a free game and a game that you paid to download um, because there's sort of an automatic investment, right? It's like, well, <laughs> I put $9 or $14 or whatever into this. You know, I'm going to at least give it a day in court right, to sort of like see what I can do with it, poke around. I'm going to try every feature, right? I want to get my money's worth. Um, you know, so I, I haven't had, you know, I haven't really gotten any emails or anything from anybody who said, well, you know, I tried to use the editor and I just couldn't. It seems like almost everybody has sort of seen it through and like learned how to do stuff with it and like had a pretty good experience with it. Right. I, you know, I've never gotten a negative email from anybody. Um, and I've gotten lots and lots of emails and, you know, and people paid money for this and you'd think that, you know, if somebody paid money and they really hated it or they thought it was like, you know, too hard to use or something, they would have told me about it. Right. I've gotten bug reports. You know, certainly, but the bug reports are always like, I love this game, and there's this one little bug I found, you know? <laughs> um, so, so that's really, you know, it's like, imagine if I had been selling Passage. I mean, you know, um, and I have sold Passage on the iPhone, and you should see the, like, the comment rolls there, you know, about, uh, you know, in the App Store. It's like, my God, I want my 99 cents back, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I haven't had any, you know, even though this game is much more expensive and so on, I haven't had any really react, any real reactions like that. It's sort of like... I don't know. I mean, and also I ran the user interface by several people um, as I was developing it, you know. I was kind of reluctant to do that because I haven't done that with any of my other games, but this was such a UI-heavy game that I finally gave in to my friends who were pestering me and took their feedback and so on. So, you know, and I also, in using it myself, I had seen, um, you know, what was tripping me up, right? Because I was telling stories with it to different journalists and so on, and I'd find, oh, my God, I really needed a button to do this because I'm doing this every single turn. Or I really need to be able to do this more quickly. Or, you know, my friend is asking for drag and drop, and oh my gosh, yeah, drag and drop would be really good. You know, <laughs> so um, so yeah, I I don't know. The the interface got relatively. Hum- I mean, it's complicated because there's you know a certain amount of stuff you need to be able to do with it, right? There's a lot of there's a lot of buttons on the screen. It's not just like one button or something. Um, but on the other hand, you know. A lot of this stuff is just sort of stuff you'll only use if you really need to do something specific and you sort of learn which parts you... I don't know, yeah. I, I, I think people have kind of, you know, especially from all the stories I've seen posted and so on, I think people have gotten, you know, pretty adept at using it. Yeah. Looking at... <laughs> okay. Looking at all the uh, the websites that have popped up, like SidTube and uh, Sleep is Death stories and the, the things that you link to the community, it seems like people are really taking to it in almost a similar way as people took to things like Little Big Planet. Like, there's a lot of stuff going up, and people are creating, like, pretty extensive um, sets of graphics, all the resource packs and everything. It's it's pretty amazing um, from what I've seen. I've been sort of uh, searching around, trying to get my hands on whatever I can because I'm a little less creative. But having uh, uh, the resources like that at your fingertips makes it easier to grab, uh, you know, assets and create stories, even if you're not creative. Yeah, yeah, I was sort of, I was, I didn't really know what was going to pop up around this game, right? So I was certainly 
flattered and surprised and happy to see like stuff like that come up. Uh, and people, you know, I was also, I knew that some of the people had emailed me saying, I'm about to set up a website. And I was like, okay, I didn't know what would really happen with it. You know, and I, I didn't, you know, envision that hundreds and hundreds of stories would get posted within the first, like, you know, couple of days <laughs> or whatever. Um, so that's been, it's been pretty cool and exciting to see all that happening. And, you know, when I, I, I wanted, um, some really good stories, um, like what I was calling amazing stories to post on, um, on the sleep is death website, just to sort of promote the game. Like here's examples of really good stuff that's been done with it. And so I had this little contest where I was, you know, saying, submit your you know, amazing story to me. And if I pick it for the website, I'll give you 200 bucks and so on. And yeah, so I ended up getting like 35 submissions, um, which I don't know if that's a little, that was a lot to go through <laughs> uh, for one person to go through. But, but, you know, and it's not a ton. It's not like I got thousands of submissions. Um, but yeah, and I was able to find, you know, out of those, there were three really, really interesting things that were sort of using the game in different ways and so on. Um, yeah, so I've been, you know, there's there seems to be a lot of people who are very enthusiastic about it, and and uh, you know, on the other hand, I guess compared to all of my other games that I've made, um, you know, this one is sort of has kind of a limitless possibility to it, right? Because you can you can sort of envision all these things you might do with it in the future, and um, even for myself, you know, I've been working on it for like four months straight, and you know, I envision myself still using it, you know, years down the line to do something, right? Um, so. I think, um, you know, it's compared to Passage where you play it like once or twice for like five or ten minutes and, and sort of understand what it's about and you're done. I was actually, you know, this is, really, this is really like this tool that you can use for a long time. So I think people are kind of thinking about it that way. I, I was actually meaning to ask you about that. I mean, because, you know, things like, like Passage and, and Gravitation are, are so short, was that kind of a bit of your inspiration behind making Sleeper's Death to actually make this experience that, that has not just long, longevity to it, but it has breadth in terms of what it can provide um well i mean i i for the past um you know year or so i have been really focused on like multiplayer games um because i sort of gotten i got kind of frustrated with like the sort of the limitations of single player games and i even wrote some articles about this and i've given talks about this and so on so i won't go into too much detail but essentially you know like really deep gameplay that you could study for a whole lifetime or something seems to only really be present in in two player or, or multiplayer games you know, games like chess and go and, and, um, and German board games and so on. And so I, I've, I've, you know, really been focused on, on two player games for a while. And, um, and then, you know, for this, this project, I actually had a, a commission for this project to, uh, to make this, this, this game for a, a particular conference. And I had, and I, they, I, aside from, you know, the fact that I needed to make a game and it needed to be sort of an art, it needed to be an art game. I, um, you know, I had no constraints, so I had a year, pretty much a year, to think about it. And I knew I the whole time I was never considering a single player game. So I was thinking about all these different multiplayer game design ideas, and that's how this this kind of came up. It was like, you know, you could use two player interaction to sort of solve this kind of problem. Um, so um, yeah, so I don't know, but you know, multiplayer games in general have more depth and longevity than like a single player game like Passage ever could. Um, so yeah, I guess that, that was sort of my whole thrust into multiplayer games was all about that. It was like, yeah, these games are cool and they give you this insight, but only once or twice. And it's like, you know, can I make something that, you know, someone could still be playing 10 years from now, you know, and, and not necessarily because it's open-ended and they can create whatever they want inside of it, but just because, because of what, what happens when you have multiple players interacting. And in the case of Sleep is Death, I guess it has both of those, uh, those kinds of things built into it, right? Absolutely. 
Um, now, speaking of that, since this game is out there for the people to play with, um, has anything really come out that's like truly surprised you? Something that someone has done with it that you never expected to be possible? <laughs> uh, well, I, I guess I've said this a couple of times uh, elsewhere, but you know, I, as I was designing this game, I kept thinking, you know, oh boy, people are going to do stuff with this that I never even envisioned. Right? I was sort of expecting to be expecting the unexpected or ex- expecting to be shocked right by the kind of stuff that people did so i guess i, I wasn't really shocked you know I, i've seen people using it in ways that i wasn't expecting but i was i was sort of expecting that right <laughs> um like like for example there's um one of the stories i posted is called grandma's photo yes um you know it was a user submitted photo a uh, user submitted uh story and um and one of the things about it, one of the reasons I picked it, uh, well, of course, it used all original assets and stuff, um, you know, which was one of my requirements. But, um, you know, they, whenever they switched to the photo, like viewing the photo, they changed the way the character, they changed the, the character into this little cursor on the screen, right? So the character is no longer a human walking around on the screen. They're a cursor that they can position over something to ask a question about, you know, to point at something. Um, you know, and, and that's a you know, really sort of interesting use of, you know, the mechanics of the game. Um, and the fact that, you know, the player has control over just one thing, but it could be anything. It doesn't have to be a person or, or even like something alive. Right. Um, in this case it's abstract. And then they change the player's speech bubble into a box that's above the cursor asking what's this, or who's this person, or what's this old television here? Um, yeah. So I thought that was a really interesting use, um, that I guess I hadn't anticipated. I mean, it didn't flabbergast me. Uh, <laughs> there's, I'm sure there's all sorts of crazy stuff that people are, are going to come up with. Like somebody, you know, uh, like you guys already mentioned the idea of using sleep is death to make a first person shooter, right? I mean, uh, um, you know, there's, there's certainly, oh, uh, any. loads and, and, oh, and I guess somebody, um, used sleep is death to one of the other stories that was submitted that I didn't end up picking was this one that took place in, in the first couple of levels of Mario. Um, where they had completely recreated exactly the layout of all the bricks and, and pipes and, you know, um, going down into world 1.2 or whatever it's called, <laughs> the first underground world. And, you know, uh, I guess putting walls and uh, putting wall markers in just the right spots so that the player could, you know, only, you know, walk on the places they could reach and so on. Um, you know, so that's kind of cool. It's like, whoa, I guess this game can sort of simulate Mario, you know, mechanics. Um, uh, you know, and I guess the game is sort of general enough that it's sort of like almost like Turing complete for game design, right? Sure. You know, you can sort of sim- you could potentially like simulate, you know, simulate any other game system with this, albeit in a turn-based, very clunky way. <laughs> what? Somebody's even mentioned that you might be able to simulate Sleep is Death inside Sleep is Death, right? Give someone a controller, something that looks like the controller. Don't interface. do that. Don't do that. <laughs> Just hearing you guys describe what you guys have experienced and what I've experienced in the game so far is so different, like, just so much variety in what people can do with this thing. Like, I mean, you, Jason, you had mentioned that you created a real-life story within the game. Uh, Sinan and I played a couple days ago, and, and man, that was weird. It was uh, just a surreal experience. Yeah, like, one of them was basically Twin Peaks, and the other one was this, like, animated short story about a talking car. It was just this weird, unique... <laughs> <laughs> crazy experience and hearing what everyone else has been doing has been really cool and I, I like the uh, the fact that these sites are really blowing up because you get to see well this guy over here did this this guy over here made Stubbs a Zombie and Sleep is Death all these crazy little stupid stories that have come about is, is, is so very cool right and I think also there's people who are using it for almost like a, a machinima kind of purpose mm-hmm. where, where they're sitting down with two people intentionally saying let's create this story about this and you're going to play this character I'm going to play this character and we're going to kind of talk about this, mm. you know, and so they seem to like, I've even heard people talk about storyboarding ahead of time, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, because it is sort of like um, like a webcomic authoring tool in a way, you know, 
Um, so, so some people have been using it like, like kind of like that. Um, you know, if you want to make web comics, I guess it's probably the quickest, most painless, <laughs> most painless way to do it. That's really funny. Sin and I were just talking about that yesterday about how it could be a storyboard uh, creation tool. But um, what I find it very similar to, you know, in my experience, is tabletop RPGs, because I always played tabletop RPGs when I was younger, and then coming to video games and thinking, man, I wish I had the freedom of a tabletop RPG in an electronic uh, interactive game would be great. And I think Sleep is Death is sort of like a link there between the two. Like, to me, it feels a lot like uh, the game master and the, the player character of a tabletop RPG, like Dungeons & Dragons or whatever. Right, right. I mean, that, that comparison has been drawn many times. Um... I'll just say a couple of things about it. Uh, first of all, I never played tabletop RPGs ever in my <laughs> life, um, so I'm not coming. I'm not coming at this from a tabletop perspective. Um, on the other hand, you know, once I kind of came up with this idea, I realized that, it, of course, was you know somewhat related to this, you know, long tradition of tabletop role-playing games. Um, so there's there's a couple of big differences um, between Sleep is Death and a tabletop RPG. You know, obviously. The most obvious difference is there's no systems in Sleep is Death, and not all tabletop RPGs have systems in them. You know, like uh, you know, uh, like experience points and, and character levels and all that mm. kind of stuff. Um, but separate from that, just in terms of the experience, not focusing on the systems. Um, you know, whereas in a tabletop RPG, you're sort of imagining everything the way everything looks in your mind, like the scenes, the characters, and there's one person telling the story who's the game master, but the people around the table are all sort of you know, having their own vision of what that might look like in their own minds. And they could argue, you know, did you think that barkeeper had a mustache? You might ask your friend, well, uh, yeah, he had a mustache. No, he didn't have a mustache in my mind, you know. Right? <laughs> uh, something that's not described, you just sort of fill in the details. Now, in the case of Sleep is Death, it, it gives you this very concrete, um, external thing to look at, right? So both you and the other player are looking at the same representation of the space, right? So it doesn't leave any of the visual stuff up to your imagination. Um, so that makes it a little bit different. It sort of externalizes it a little bit more and, and also ensures that both people have the same. And I know this, is, this isn't good or bad. It's just a difference. It ensures that both people have the same, you know, sort of like uh, are looking at the same thing and think about things the same way, the same space. So the other thing is that in a role-playing game, everyone talks and speaks, speaks their character's voice. And the, um, you know, the DM might even speak for some of the non-player characters that need to act. Um, but in this game... You don't. You, there's no acting required, right? You're just typing in the speech bubbles. Mm. So whereas, you know, in a tabletop RPG, all the visuals are in your head, but all the speech you actually hear. In this game, all the visuals you actually see, but all the speech you have to imagine in your head, right? So it sort of flips that dynamic around. And it allows for, like, I'd say role-playing in far less comfortable situations <laughs> where like you know i've told stories where i you know i as the as the controller i'm controlling you know a wife and a daughter and some other characters some neighbors and so on and the daughter is like this little four-year-old girl right now if i was the, the dungeon master in a tabletop setting trying to like speak on behalf of a four-year-old girl what would i do right would i talk in a squeaky voice like kind of crouch down in my chair you know <laughs> You know, and she's she's thirsty because there's a water shortage, and she hasn't peed all day. So she's telling her dad how it hurts to pee, right? And you know, through sleep is death, I can do that, and it comes across fine, and it comes across as touching, right? But if I was sitting in a tabletop setting, be like, "Daddy, it hurts when I pee. <laughs> My skin is all itchy." You know, it's just like that. Just it wouldn't work, right? So maybe that's why I don't know. Maybe that's why role playing. 
um, tabletop games kind of st stray away from things that are sort of a little bit uncomfortable or situations that are sort of too realistic or too touching or something because people would feel kind of foolish acting that out, sure. right? Um, you know, so and they always there are a lot of them are in some kind of fantasy setting. You know, I know there have been some that have been set in real real settings. There have been some film noir ones and so on. Um, but sort of a, in di distant kind of settings, right? Even a film noir setting is sort of a, is distance from real life in a way that makes it kind of comfortable, right? Um, so yeah, so sleep is that kind of takes all that awkward stuff out of there. You don't have to, you know, be worried about like your acting ability or whether you could impersonate a four-year-old girl <laughs> who's dying of thirst. You know, it's like you can. You just it, because it's coming through a speech bubble, so all that can be can be sort of interpreted on the player end in their mind when they read the speech bubble. Well, as someone for whose sins who's had the unfortunate of um, unfortunate occasion of having to go to a live action role play session, like it, it almost it almost sounds more to me like a, a virtual version of that, and that's a lot better <laughs> to me. <laughs> so <laughs> that, I think you know that that that's kind of how I look at it, and I I, I like any. So you're saying you're saying that live action is better to you than tabletop? No, <laughs> I'm saying I, I'm saying. It, Virtual live action role play is a lot better than either of them, uh. <laughs> and I think oh, that's, okay, that, okay. that's what Sleep is Death is, is maybe closest to me for, and I, I really appreciate it for that. Um, Jeff, did you have a quick right, question? Right. Um, sure. So I was kind of curious, what, what kind of inspirations did you have in making this game? I mean, um, maybe a better question would be like, what what other games do you do you look at as being very good, or maybe weren't that good, but had a lot of ideas that um, the major made you think, well, maybe I want to do this differently, and hence create a Sleep is Death. Right, right. So, um, you know, Sleep is Death, like I said, is sort of my response to all this discussion that's been going on for a long time. Um, but, you know, in that discussion, there have been a bunch of games that have, sort of been, have been brought up as examples. So those games are, uh, well, you know, it's not really a game, but uh, Chris Crawford's Storytron system, which I mentioned, um, the, the interactive drama facade, which has artificial intelligence characters, um, the interactive story mask, which is like a, it's M-A-S-Q, if you want to do a Google search for it. That is um, like a kind of a very complex, a very dense branching story web, um, hmm. but it actually works really well and gives you a lot of freedom. Um, and then, um, uh, you know, stuff that David Cage has done, like Indigo Prophecy or Heavy Rain. Um, I haven't played Heavy Rain yet, but, you know, I, I, I know I, I know enough about it to be able to speak a little bit about it. Um, and... Um, and let's see, what was the other one? Oh, Scribble Knots. <laughs> so, so these, um, these, all these things kind of together. It's sort of like Sleep is Death is kind of my response to all of those things, right? Um, which you know, if you know, if you've noticed, all of those things are all single player experiences, of course. Um, and you know, trying in some way or another to use systems and simulation to sort of do this kind of stuff. Um, and, and Scribble Knots obviously isn't trying to do characters really, but you know, trying to do. You know, unexpected interactions between objects, right? Um, using systems and simulation. Sure. Which Sleep is Death does also as well, right? I mean, you know, you could point the shrink ray at a Christmas tree and maybe get a shrunken Christmas tree. <laughs> it's interesting that you mentioned, mentioned Facade because at the top of this, you, you talked about how, you know, dialogue is such an important part of uh, Sleep is Death. And it's kind of like the Facade versus, versus Sleep is Death is like two different solutions to a problem, but one's really much simpler to execute. Right, right. I didn't spend five years working on it because it doesn't use any newfangled artificial intelligence stuff. Right. <laughs> um, on the other hand, you know, like, I mean, I, like, so Facade, I love Facade, right? And, mm. and Michael Matias, you know, he's a, he's, a, he's a friend of mine and I, I, I think he's a genius and so on. However, uh, you know, if you sit down at Facade, even if you try to play it straight, 
and don't try to screw, you know, mess with Trip and Grace, right? You try to actually ask them questions that fit into the story. They're talking about something. You ask them a question to follow up. You know, they'll sometimes look at you like you're from Venus, even though you're asking something very straightforward. <laughs> uh, you know, so it's the classic Eliza problem or whatever, right? It's just like there's some things that the AI is just not going to be able to handle, and the the story kind of breaks at that point. And the, or maybe they'll change the subject or realize, you know, that they they try to smooth it over somehow. Oh, I'm going to go into the other room and get some food, you know, or oh, the phone rings because <laughs> Trip couldn't understand your your question, um, you know. But so so even if you try to play it straight, it's still sort of breaks your suspension of disbelief and so um yeah so i guess i'd say the sleep is death sort of solves that problem in a way that actually works right because never have i been you know seen a game of sleep is death where some character asked a question and the non-player character couldn't respond right or just kind of looked at them dumbly right (laughs) just i'm not talking about asking asking for something to happen in the world obviously sometimes that you know if you go and try and do something the person wasn't expecting and punch a hole through the wall and they're not ready obviously that might not happen um but, you know, just even just a basic, you know, single sentence question, you know, and, and being able to get a, a reasonable response back, um, you know, is something that Sleep as Death can certainly handle. Right. I can see our time is hitting at 45, so I'm going to be very cheeky and ask you one tiny little question <laughs> before we go. Um, yeah, it's no problem. You mentioned at the top of this, you know, that you, you wanted to respond to, to, to certain games and maybe send a message of, of sorts to, to developers. Like, do you think other developers will, will look at Sleep as Death and, and if they do, what? What will their, will it, what kind of response are you hoping it will produce in the industry? <laughs> oh, I, I, I didn't, I, I don't want to send a message okay. to the developers. I, I hope my, that didn't come across that way. <laughs> uh, re- Response in sort of just in my, in my design, he- in my des- game designer's mind, right? You know, it's sort of like I'm thinking about these other games, and you know, it's sort of like game design's a conversation. Um, no, so I don't, I don't envision Sleep Is Death having any kind of real impact, right? I mean, like. You know, it's it's a very sort of specific experiment, and to make it work, I had to you know have these very specific concessions, right? It's like, yes, this is a game where you type on the keyboard a lot, and you know, yes, it's thirty second time you know time limit and so on, and that's really crucial. Like, it just wouldn't work without these very specific things. Um, so it's not like I envision this like sp- spawning a whole new branch of game design or something because you know it is so specific. I mean, what else are you going to do? You know, like try and like. Uh, you know, switch out the keyboard for people having little clips of audio from their real voice. You know, it's like there's very few little modifications that you can make to it to still sort of have this kind of interactive story with interactive characters. And the kinds of things that are, you know, in the game itself are just so odd and kind of so awkward that it's just not going to be something that you could fold into the next Mass Effect or something very easily. Mm. Um, You know, on the other hand, I do see a little bit, and this uh, this is not in response to Sleep is Death, but I do see a little bit more stuff, um, you know, starting with things like Little Big Planet and all the user-generated content kind of things. You know, a game like Demon's Souls has little bits and little tiny things in there where people are kind of interacting indirectly with each other um, through the game system because, you know, everyone's playing on a networked console on the PS3, right? So, you know, you'll sometimes see a ghost of another character run by or... I think there's even stuff later on in the game where, you know, uh, a character, uh, another player can take over one of the monsters and you might be fighting a monster and it, it might actually be, you know, controlled by a real human. Um, so I think those kinds of things, like trying to figure out ways to sort of roll human intelligence into things, that's sort of coming down the line as people get more and more frustrated with artificial intelligence. Um, so maybe Sleep is Death will be another example of that for people to look at. Like, yeah, yeah, look, let's, let's try and get more human intelligence built into our game somehow.
Okay, we've we've already kept you more than enough. You're a very busy man. Do you want to just for uh, a quick plug for Sleep's obviously, you know, the website and where people can download the game and, and how much it is and all that? Right. Um, probably the easiest way to find Sleep is Death is just a Google search uh, for Sleep is Death. Uh, otherwise, you can go to sleepisdeath.net. And the game can be downloaded now uh, for 14 bucks, 14 US dollars, and that is that gets you two uh, downloads of the game for two people, um, so you have someone to play with because it's a two-player-only game. Um, and uh, yeah, there's also a bunch of cool stuff on the Sleep Is Death website, different demonstrations of the game and slideshows that have been made with the game, and uh, and also there's a bunch of resource packs that have been posted on the game website that come along with your download. Um, so there's a bunch of cool stuff out there. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it seems like it's a burgeoning community. Very cool. Okay, so Jason Rowe, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks guys, it's been fun. So, uh, it just remains for me to thank my, my co host and my guest. So, thank you, Joe. You got it, buddy. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome, thanks for having us. And thank you, Eddie. No, thank you, sir. <laughs> oh, bless. Um, Eddie Azato, in the, in the meantime, in the interim between us recording the show and doing this little end segment, has blown my mind by somehow managing to resurrect uh, the Twitter account, which is slash Big Red Potion, which I thought was lost the end of time. So that is actually now going to be our new official uh, Twitter <laughs> account for Big Red Potion. It was originally the Big Red Potion. I deleted... The, the the Big Red Potion account a year ago, twitter.com slash Big Red Potion. Eddie has somehow resurrected it from the dead like some kind of miracle worker. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you can now find us on Twitter at twitter.com slash Big Red Potion. Bizarre. Uh, so thank you, Eddie, for that. Uh, like we said on the show uh, and the intro, you can find us at Facebook as well, and you can always find us at the site, which is bigredpotion.com. Just leave me to... Uh, get some very quick plugs from the crew. So, Jeff, uh, what have you been up to in the wide world of games journalism recently? Not as much as usual. I, I recently wrote an article at uh, GameReviews.com on on uh, anticlimactic endings. It was part of my Challenging Conventions column, and it was basically about endings that uh, may try doing something a little bit new that, that don't ramp up the difficulty or don't have a final boss, and how that was memorable in some way. And otherwise, I sometimes write for uh, Games Abyss. I got some reviews up there fairly recently, and G4 TV. Fantastic. Eddie, how about you? Um, I recently wrote an editorial at GamerNode.com about genre and moving away from the restraints of genre. Uh, you could find that at, uh, at GamerNode.com and also on the recent Big Red Everything post on BigRedPotion.com. It's listed there with a link. Um, that's about it for me. Very cool. Yeah, very nicely dropped, Eddie. Um, yeah, we, we, we're, I'm doing a weekly feature on the site where I basically link to all the stuff we've been doing. Uh, every week uh, mm-hmm. and, and a bunch of other cool stuff too like I, this week I, I linked to quite a lot of the rebuttals that we uh, enjoyed to Roger Ebert's Games Aren't Art Debate uh, including the, the the Penny Arcade one which I think they described as post as uh, what was it spewing ejaculate or something along those times <laughs> yeah which I was kind of agreeing with really quite frankly um, so there you go uh, that leaves Joe Joe how about you what have you been up to uh, this week I'll be posting a review of Splitter Cell Conviction on thegamereviews.com and bigredpotion.com deserves another plug because Sinan did a wonderful job revamping the site oh thank you is that, is that review going up tomorrow uh, yes it should be up by the time this episode gets posted okay so let's spoiler it 
what 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 did you think? I like it quite a bit. Uh, it is not quite the Splinter Cell that I know and love, but it's a damn fine game. Yes, and don't forget your Deadly Premonition. Ah, yes, uh, BigRedPotion.com, Deadly Premonition Review, the game that I was made to love, but I didn't quite like it. You didn't enjoy it as much no. as, uh, as, as, as Sir Jim. Jim no, no, no. <laughs> no, okay. I, honestly, though, Jim's not even the, the worst uh, person. If you look at Metacritic now, and, like, there are literally 15 good reviews of that game on Metacritic.com, and I wonder if Jim didn't ever put his review up, if those would even exist, because that game fucking sucks. Yeah, and that's the thing, he was being very ironic about yes. it, and I wonder how much of that has transferred over Pe- into the other reviews. People are actually <laughs> saying, like, this is a wonderful experience, I enjoyed all 40 hours that I put into it, I, I don't get it, I just don't. Bizarre. Uh, and that leaves me. Uh, I haven't been doing any sort of major article writing, I've been continuing my sort of Editor's Corner stuff at Games Abyss, uh, that's www.gamesabyss.com, and I just need to scroll down the main page and you'll find a whole list of blithering by me. I just wrote something this uh, today about Sunday about uh, Famitsu, the whole perfect score thing. Do you guys see that for yes, Peace Walker? Yes, 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 yes. Brian Ashcraft's yeah. uh, lengthy thing on Kotaku. Yes, which he, he said they cannot be trusted. Yes, basically. yes, yes he did. And I, I decided to say, I don't know about that, but I'm not about to say they can be trusted. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what my stance is. Uh, but yeah, you can find uh, find more of that at gamesabyss.com and I'm always at choinan.com. That just leaves me to say, join us in two weeks' time. We'll be doing a cult mode with uh, Zan, Zan, the missing member today of the Big Red Crew. He'll be back on that show and we'll hopefully have two more special guests for that show I won't spoil who they are but hopefully they'll be joining us otherwise uh, Joe Jeff Eddie thanks once again and we will talk with you in two weeks time take care